Welcome to the show, everybody. I have uh, some kind of exciting last-minute news popping up for you. If you happen to be hearing this before August 15th, it's still going to be relevant to you, even if you aren't hearing it before that time. But if you happen to be hearing this before Wednesday, August 15th, I will be in Minneapolis on August 15th recording some stand-up for a soon-to-be-announced TV series. I can't give any more details than that just now, but you can come and see it being filmed at Acme Comedy Club, my probably my favorite comedy club in the country. Uh, you can come out and see me and some others being filmed for a future stand-up series. So please check that out. If you're in Minneapolis, if you know anyone in Minneapolis, um, have them come and check it out. It's going to be a fun, exciting time. Once again, that is Wednesday, August 15th, and then I'll have more details. For the rest of you, I'll have more details on um, the release of that, which will be around October, November area, uh, so you'll be able to uh, see some stand-up of mine out there in the world soon. And also, at the end of uh, at the end of the month, end of August, beginning of September, Florida dates coming up. I got a week in Sarasota doing both a, a good trip and my regular show, and also doing Miami, Gainesville. Um, it looks like I'm lining up some other stuff as well, but I don't have it completely confirmed. So go to shanemoss.com, check out the schedule to find out more about that. And oh, I forgot about Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida as well. Maybe Key West. We'll see. I'm working on a few other cities around the Florida area. But with that, enjoy today's episode. We have a fantastic show for you. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today is my guest who I just met at the Los Angeles Psychedelic Science Symposium, the very first psychedelic conference of its kind in the Los Angeles area. It was an exciting time, uh, and it was it went really quite well, especially for a first year. It was a nice turnout and really... Uh, uh, nothing went horribly wrong that I noticed, and everyone seemed to really enjoy themselves, and the talks were great, and I had uh, the pleasure and privilege of, of doing uh, a few things at the conference, one of which was moderating a panel uh, called, what was it, Healed by Medicine? Uh, helped, Helped by Medicine, and, uh, and Anna was uh, one of the guests on the the panel. Uh, how do you say your last name? I should, why didn't I ask this before recording? It's fine. We're doing so good, right? You can start talking now, Anna. How, first off, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for the opportunity, Shane. And how do you... I'm just so bad with last names. How do I, how do I pronounce your last name? Holub. Holub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a Czech name. Sure doesn't seem that hard to think holub that's easy peasy h-o-l-u-b holub yeah Mm -hmm. just like you would think don't know why i have such a hard time with last names um so we had a we had a terrific panel that was because we we were we were on the first day in the afternoon of you know this is a psychedelic uh science conference and there's a lot of like charts and graphs and MRIs and data and and um, all great. This is a science podcast, the Here We Are podcast, so I was loving all of that. But um, but science can be, can wear you down after, it's cognitively demanding. Mm-hmm. And, it can um, be a little dry. It can be, especially when, you know, some, some speakers are more comfortable than others and some people kind of reading off their like thing that they spent months preparing and, and not realizing that they could have just 
winged it and probably sounded more genuine and, and interesting. And But, you know, there's varying levels of experience and all that. But our panel, I thought we killed it. I thought we knocked it out of the park. It was a nice break for people, and it was really um, a good example of, of truly what all this stuff is about, which is, in the end, uh, creating change and, and helping others. And so ours was... Ours was less the data and, and more of the heart and uh, a lot more personal. A lot more personal. Mm-hmm. So, so why don't you uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the to the audience and kind of talk a, a little bit about because we're going to talk about your book, Forgive and Be Free: A Step by Step Guide to Release, Healing, and Higher Consciousness. Uh, so we're going to talk all about that, but. Why don't you take us on a journey through uh, through how you came to to be here, how you came to write this book, how uh, I know from having done a panel with you and and uh, getting to know you here and there over uh, a brief little time during the conference that that you have a, a bit of a long history uh, with psychedelics as well. I think we we have kind of a similar history in terms of our introduction to psychedelics anyway. Right. And we also have, I think, the same root medicine. Yeah. You, you had a pretty funny joke that you spoke of last night during your comedy routines, thinking about like, well, the people that are in LSD, they love LSD and the people that love mushrooms, we can all get along. (laughs) I I chuckled at that because. Yeah, that was just an improvised thing that I said because it was, yeah, it's always like sometimes during my act, I mentioned that like, you know, LSD isn't my favorite. And some, the LSD people will be like, come on, well, you just haven't done the, maybe you haven't had the pure stuff. Maybe you haven't done it. Oh, come on, it's LSD's the best. And, and so there is this, this fun battle. And we're on Team Mushroom a little bit. That's not to say anything negative about LSD. I've had several enjoyable LSD experiences, but. As have I. We're on Team Mushroom. Yeah. So the only reason why I say that is because I, I began my exploration with psychedelics when I was 15, 16 years old, pretty young. And yet in my time, there were plenty of people just trying everything that we could. And there weren't as many really dangerous things out on the street at that time. This was late 70s, early 80s. So um, I tried a few things and got really fascinated by the ability that I had with the support of these these medicines. I didn't really see it as a medicine at that time, but there are tools to help me to crack open some mysterious places. And I think I like going to conferences about psychedelics because there's a whole crew of people who are like me in that way. And it's uh, not always obvious when you're walking around, who are these people who really love to explore more than the 3D world? So I was, I am one of those people and put the whole thing down in, in my 20s, started to do a lot of meditation and fasting and yoga and got really clear and, and didn't do a whole lot of psychedelics for a while. But then I came back to it. Um, later on, realizing that I know myself pretty well by now and I can come back to it and keep my spiritual focus and everything that I've learned and trip from here. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a very different experience doing psychedelics when you're 16 or whatever and... uh well, if you're anything like me, I definitely wasn't doing it for any kind of a spiritual. I figured out in a hurry that there, you know, that it would, that you would learn things about yourself, absolutely, and it was a a tool for personal change, for sure. But you know, like you said, I didn't think about these things as medicines at the time, and and it's uh, it is. Uh, I've, I've had sometimes I've had like I've gone maybe a year or something without a trip or maybe two I probably not but um, but it's definitely I've had times where I'm doing them more frequently and less frequently and um, I think I was in a relationship for like 
three years where I kind of wasn't allowed to do psychedelics because you know, they weren't that open. To, so it was like I maybe did them once or twice during that entire relationship. So so I have had a, a little bit of a separation from doing a ton when I was younger and then um, kind of getting back into that exploration more as an adult. And it is a very different experience as as an adult when you have an idea of, of who you are and also take the things a little more seriously and do them a little more kind of cautiously. Uh, wisely, and, maybe. Yeah, a little more the kind of doctor-recommended yeah. <laughs> way of, of uh, dipping your... Uh, or of kind of facilitating. Uh, I mean, we didn't we're, use words like facilitate. When I was young, we didn't have these fancy pants words like facilitation and medicine. We walked all the way to school and back, and we didn't know about facilitating our acid trip. Right. Right. And yet, when I look back on what I learned when I was that young, and I'm not at all saying to 15 and 16-year-olds to go and do a bunch of tripping right now. Um, but I did learn some things the hard way. And one of them was that I did end up on an acid trip looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And there was another joke about that, yeah. I think, last night about, oh, don't do that until, you're, until you've tripped a bunch, you know, then look in the mirror. Uh, yeah. Well, I didn't know that, right. right? So I go look in the mirror, and it was really, really profound for me to realize how much fear was inside of me. Mm. That's what I got. And I was totally shocked by it. I didn't know that that whole level existed. And bringing it to the work that I do now with the forgiveness and the expanded model of forgiveness that I teach, it's not the traditional thing that we learned early on. It's a much bigger, more... um, spirit-connecting, though non-religious, way of getting some healing. And I think I had that deep realization of how much fear was in me early on, and then I realized, well, I'm going to really, if I want to be happy, I'm going to need to do something about it. And I think that's why I went towards meditation, I went towards yoga, I quit doing things that weren't very good for me, like smoking cigarettes, um, got my diet cleaned up. You know, there's a lot of different avenues to get a healthy life going. But emotionally and spiritually, this forgiveness work is the most powerful thing I've found. Mm. And uh, so it's helped me so much with my letting go, deep, deep soul level letting go, basically is what I'm talking about. We can call it surrender. We can call it letting go. We can call it forgiveness in its most expanded way. And so I I feel like I was able to heal so much of that fear that I saw early on. And I wanted to just share it with people because it works and it's simple. Mm. And anybody can do it. All you need is some acid in a mirror, everybody. <laughs> that's, that's it. What? I mean, why are people buying this book when they just Who need, needs the book? Uh, yeah, five dollars worth of LSD in a in a mirror available in any home or public restroom? <laughs> um, well, that is, I I mean, as you as you were talking about that, I was trying to think, what was my experience like with looking. In the mirror, because I definitely advise newcomers to like, eh, like I'm always just like, look, when you, I don't want to tell you what to do too much when tripping, but if you need to go to the bathroom, like just think about it for a second and have a plan, go in, use the bathroom, and get the hell out of there, like, as soon as you can. Don't get swallowed up into the whatever, like, the germs or your soul or the mirror. There, there's a lot of stuff within a bathroom right. <laughs> that can swallow up your attention and, and cause all sorts of... The bathroom's just not a great place to be in, in general, in my experience. But there's something once you... And as they're talking, I'm like, I wonder, is it, was it the fear? Was it, like, something, like... A self-loathing that I had or insecurities or I wonder what it was specifically early on for me whatever it was it was the common reaction most people have which is like 
well, that's freaking me out looking in the mirror right now. And now that is one of the most interesting things that I can do, uh, during a, during a trip, which I think is, uh, that's nice when you can come that far to look yourself in the mirror and, uh, enjoy what you're seeing and not in a narcissistic way, but just in a interesting way. Like, what is this thing that I am? And like, mm-hmm. what is this body that I'm in? And what is, and staring into that, in your pupils, just infinite black holes in there. Like, what is this experience? It's just so, uh, so interesting when you're used to it. So let's get into, yeah. Well, I just wanted to add that sure. it brings us to two of the most important questions there are. Mm-hmm. Who am I and what am I? Yeah. Not that we're going to answer those questions, but to hold them is profound. And a lot of meditation and spiritual knowledge comes from those two questions. Mm. I had at that time when I looked in the mirror, a friend of mine with me, she went in to the bathroom, she looked in the mirror, she came out and she said, oh my God, that was so funny. That was the funniest thing ever. And she thought it was funny. And I thought, how could she think it's funny? And how could I then look inside of me and find all this like neurotic fear stuff? Mm-hmm. So, that was really instructional too, mm-hmm. because I realized right away, okay, not everybody is going to have my experience. Some people are going to have very, very vastly different experiences. And I was a little jealous because she looked in her, in her eyes and she just cracked up. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend's sort of that way. She just thinks it's all just so silly. Um, I, I, me, it depends more on my mood and where I'm at at a given uh, time. I, I mean, I definitely, these are, uh, it's exciting to talk about because uh, this is kind of the foundation, the reason why the podcast is called Here We Are is because I am consumed with endlessly thinking about what this is and who I am and what this experience of life is and figuring it out. And it's just endless and it's just, it's all just like, it consumes me sometimes. There's just an infinite number of questions that only build as you answer a couple of them. And uh, it becomes sometimes overwhelming for me where I just have to like catch my breath for a second and be like, all right, well, here we are. And I, you know, I guess just keep going. <laughs> And uh, thus the name of, of the podcast. So um, so let's talk about, uh, I feel like I'm talking way too much right now. Let's talk, about, I'm going to forgive myself for that. Great idea. Uh, <laughs> forgiveness is everywhere. Self-forgiveness is constantly available. <laughs> so thank you. That's, that's it right there. So, so let's talk about forgiving and uh, be free. How, uh, I mean, so these were, you just shared some kind of, early introductory experiences and then I'm also sure that you were kind of making a nice smooth transition from us meeting at the psychedelic conference to how you got to the but but there was uh sounds like there's probably a lot of stuff in between uh, right and <laughs> actually I and I don't talk about psychedelics that, in the book that's yeah right um I wrote this book it was published four years ago and um Actually, it was, it was published. There's a miracle story about when it was published. Mm-hmm. I worked on this book for a long time, like probably six years, before I really had it all together. And I got myself a, uh, a publishing deal, which was somewhat of a miracle in, ex- in itself. And then the book was ready to come out finally. And I said, well, what day is the publication date? And they said, oh... February 8th. And that stopped me because the main story in the book that I describe is about growing up with a mother who had mental illness, who got worse and worse over time, who really related to me particularly out of all of her children as the one who was most like her. And she would tell me, oh, you're the most like me. And I would think, oh, my God, what am I going to do? No wonder I'm freaking out looking in the mirror when I'm 16. So when I was 23, 
and eight and a half months pregnant and single and without support or money, she killed herself. And so the journey of having the baby two weeks later and being in such an intense grief yet relief experience where I was horrified and devastated as was the rest of my family that she wanted to die and that she was so intent on it that this was not a cry for help. She did it. She went all the way through with it, got herself to the other side, and yet the message for me being 23 and and really not very grounded and needing a lot of support was that not only was my mother not available, not available to help me, but also it seemed to me like the message was life is not worth living. I can't do it. And meanwhile, here I am about to explode with life, with a new baby. So it took a lot for me to get through those years. I did, clearly. And what helped me a lot, aside from my community of friends, uh, which I'm deeply indebted to at the time, people who were around me who helped me, was my spiritual focus, which wasn't religious, but it just was very clear to me that I was either going to make a similar dive down into despair, or I was going to grab myself inside and hold on to the tether that connected me with spirit, even though I don't know, I still can't describe what that is. It's just something that I know is true. So I did that more and more and more, and I showed myself through this experience that I could survive something like this. It was not easy, and I put it on I put my grief on hold for quite a while because I had this baby. I didn't have a dad to help me out. I didn't have hardly any money. I had to just really focus. My father um, had stopped talking to me. He was so angry that I was pregnant in, in this situation. And anyway, we later reconciled. But it was a tough time, and I was only 23 years old. I had dropped out of school. I had, before that, um, given away everything I owned, joined a cult, changed my name. I mean, I was really pretty out there. I was exploring things that were not in the general normative land of middle America. I was doing a lot of it all at once in those times. And then I found I had this infant, beautiful baby girl which really helped, actually, because then there was, there was so much love coming through me that it was like a balm for all this other confusing stuff going on. Much later, I discovered the work of Colin Tipping, a man who wrote a book called Radical Forgiveness. And I studied with him, and I realized, oh, yeah, this, this stuff's really important, and I really need it. And uh, I also began studying something called A Course in Miracles, which is all about this expanded version of forgiveness. I got really deep into that. And um, I just started, I started letting go of the fear that I found in the mirror. I started letting go of the fear that I was going to turn out like my mother, for one thing, you know, being crazy and suicidal. That was a big one. And um, I started to focus on what I'm here for. And really what I'm here for is I see myself as a peace activist. So everything that I do has to do with how do we as humans experience peace, both inside of ourselves and in this world. So I ended up going back to school. I got a degree in peace education, and I went to graduate school, and I got a master's in dispute resolution. I was doing everything I could to find out and to offer something that would be helpful, because I looked around and thought, we don't have to live like this. I know it. I know it deep in my soul. We can have heaven on this planet, but we don't right now. So what does that mean? What do I do? 
do about that. And the forgiveness work that I learned from Colin Tipping and through Course in Miracles and through teaching communication skills and things about peace education that brought me into San Quentin prison for eight years. And I worked with at-risk kids. I taught at um, Juvenile Hall, loving all of that. And that's more the outer experience of peace education, how to have restorative justice, how to speak to each other in a calm, honest way. What an art form that is. (laughs) Yeah. And then on the inner level, this forgiveness process that I've been sharing now with groups and couples and individuals for about 15 years or so. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like most people can either do calm or honest, (laughs) but (laughs) doing both at the same time is is something we all struggle with a little bit. So, yeah, me too. uh, You know, I'm not saying I'm fully cooked on any of this stuff. I'm saying I'm passionate about it. I find it very important, Mm -hmm. and I want to share it. Do you ever? Do you ever like in your relationships? Do you ever? you ever like lose your shit and then you're like, but I'm supposed to be a, I gotta, <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I am training in dispute resolution. And, uh, do you ever bring that up in an argument? Like, no, I'm the authority in this dispute resolution. <laughs> you must listen to my way of resolving this dispute. <laughs> I would, I'd play that card. If I were in your position, if I was like fighting with my girlfriend, I'd be like, well, you know, I am kind of I the, am the expert, expert here. in disputes. Well, I am a mediator, um, and that's part of what I started doing after I got the master's degree, did mediation for quite a while before I started getting into adding communication skills, and then I added the forgiveness. I just started getting deeper and deeper and deeper into um, what's really going on here. And one of the drawbacks of being the forgiveness lady is... People are like, oh, well, Anna, she'll forgive me. (laughs) And then I feel like, oh, wait a second. You know, I need time like everybody else. I never say to anybody you should forgive instantaneously. (laughs) So now you're just a target for people. Like people just vent. Well, if I'm going to vent and like be a jerk to anybody, make sure it's Anna because she, she can take it. Well, you know, that's more of a fear in the back of my head than than a reality because in Normally, most people are amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, no. no, really, in my no. life right now, the people that are coming to me, if they are troubled, they are coming to me for support and help. They're not really getting me in the way too much. Although it happens, you know, it happens with neighbors or it happens with mm, family or, or relationships for sure. But I know that when it's my own conflict, I'm not the mediator. I'm just as screwed up as anybody else. I'm trying my damnedest to to do it well. And yet, I can just be as pissed off as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I have lost my shit. Absolutely. What, what what gets you? Are you a road rager? No. You got, you got like a pet peeve? Oh, I have, lo- yeah, I have pet peeves for sure. What are you into? What, my pet peeves? Yeah, yeah. Like oh. I, I get a... I get one, um, it's like a funny one. I don't get mad about it. I almost enjoy it. Um, but my girlfriend and many girlfriends that I've had won't change the toilet paper roll. And it's like a technology that they don't understand or something. It's like, like I can show you how this, I know they're capable of it because they do. I'm often out of town, but like to me, if the toilet paper roll, if you finished the toilet pit, and now there's just a roll there. You are the one that replaces it, and that's just not a thing that uh, a lot of people I've been in relationships with agree with. And uh, I don't know who yeah. you're dating, Shane. What's what's up with that? See, can you? <laughs> well, it, I always change the role, and I'm female, so see, I there you go. Yeah, see, but but that's uh, you know. It's a tough one, but I, I'm able to forgive. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. life's more than just about toilet paper. Deep rolls. breath, <laughs> right? Calm yourself down. That's a funny. Use your tools. It, you know, the dish. I had one relationship. Uh, we always had a fight. I said in the dishwasher, the knives can't go up, the blades can't go up because I'll 
stick my hand in there to to get the to take the dishes out of the dishwasher and I'll poke myself, which isn't really a reality of what happened because I don't just like slam my hand down on the silverware. But I still thought that it would, and it annoyed me. And there was lots of arguments about the mm. night. You got what are you into? You got something like that? You got I've a few got, things. Well, the one that can, comes up for me right now is when people leave their car running for no good reason, mm-hmm. and they're just spewing shit out into the air, into the common airspace. Not caring, not noticing on their phone for half an hour. The phone, the the car is still on, especially if they do it right where people are eating, say on an outside patio, or you're in a restaurant and the person's just there hanging out with their engine on. That idling thing is a pet peeve for me. Son of a gun! <laughs> I can get pretty pissed off, and then it's hard to know how to approach anyone because I'm already ticked and that will not go well. And I know that. So, so you just let it go. (sighs) So what you do, you just breathe. Well, it depends. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I bring it up. Sometimes I don't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just send them a message in my mind. If you came up to me and told me to shut my engine off and I was in my car, I'd be like, who is this lady? It would take a real, kind of finesse uh to do it in a way where i wouldn't be like uh excuse me what just happened so i i'm curious how you do resolve that well i i i don't know how to resolve it very well (laughs) mostly because i find people especially west on the west coast of the united states where there's a still a pioneer mentality you're like this is my car this is my life get the hell out of here Mm mm-hmm Get off my lawn, get off my car, get off my life. Yeah. And yet, I think this is a big question because I'm feeling like particularly now in our greater American U.S. society, we have lost sight of the commons and there's common airspace, you know, there's common earth health, Mm -hmm. there's common social justice to focus upon. But we have to care. Yeah, this uh, this oxygen is is uh, kind of a can be a fine. It's a renewable resource, but the the right things need to be in place for that to happen. I think people will realize how important our air is once we're all being taxed heavily for and having to buy oxygen and people would be like oh yeah we should have maybe turned the car off in the parking lot i don't know it's a lot it's a lot to like i I think about um you know how much how many gallons of fresh water go into flushing away my waste that other people get it's it's just uh this is a this is quite a pickle that um that humanity is at at this at this moment in time. This mm-hmm. isn't necessarily something that our ancestors had to worry about too much. And uh, and it may not be something that the future people have to, maybe it might be that technology has just resolved every single one of these problems and the future is this wonderful, peaceful place and hopefully we'll get, but right now, where we're at right now, it's it's tricky and it's a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. And there are people that are doing fabulous work too. You know, there are great people all over the place that are doing, that are getting passionate about what they came here to do and they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So I love that part. And I feel like we're really in a, a time of a lot of tension because we're at the end of an age and we have to create a new one. And this forgiveness work really is at the basis it's at the bottom of learning how to be assertive instead of aggressive because people a lot of times they'll say oh well forgiveness is hard and I can't do it which isn't true and I don't want to do it because then I'll lose my chutzpah you know I'll lose my anger to change the world or or I'll get taken over because I'll turn into a doormat and everybody else will will invade and and I won't have any strength left if I forgive. So I just want to note those things and say that that's not true. I feel stronger, more aligned, more connected 
to my intuitive wisdom, more available to speak out than ever. And I've continued to do this laying down of my sadness and my fear and my pain. So we also need to be um, accountable for what we do. So if we forgive ourselves, that doesn't mean that we don't make it right to the best of our ability, whatever we have done. But I do find that self-forgiveness is such a tender, poignant place. Yeah, I mean, in terms of creating change within the world and within yourself and learning and accepting, and it, I mean, I think that a lot of what our uh, consciousness does is is kind of we we defend our kind of pre-existing beliefs and don't don't let in the the new information about say climate change or we get older and you know as you age you should be kind of learning having seen more things through more people's eyes and had more experiences and that should um theoretically uh increase your empathy for others but it doesn't always and i think a lot of that is because um having to come to terms with like Oh, I was when I was younger I used to judge people in this certain way. It's it's almost easier to just be like justify it and so, and be like, "Oh no, well they had that coming" or whatever rather than be like, "Oh, that was a really shitty thing that I did." Like I was a re- I was thinking on the on the way over here, I had a memory of uh Oh, this is the one that pops up. It's one of those memories from when you're a kid. I hope you don't have any memories like this. It's awful. I'm going to share it right now just to because people have done worse things. And I think that it helps people to just like kind of accept because there's all sorts of things like this that we do when we're younger. We have these in and out group biases that have evolved and we, you know, we look for differences in others a little more, especially in defining who we are. And it's just a natural part of our upbringing. And I think that a lot of people kind of hold on to that too much when they're older. And, and especially like if I were to sit and think about all of the fresh water that I've wasted through my life, uh, you know, flushing the toilet, say more than I needed to, or taking too long of showers, that might not be as productive as just like forgiving myself for it. And in the future, taking shorter showers, for example, I had a memory on the, on the way over of like, I must've been 10 years old or something. And, and, you know, my friends would always, we'd always just like be yelling, like insults at people, like, and like on bikes or whatever, we would just like yell to like, show off that we were i don't know what is the stupid like alpha male like nonsense crap that young like uh pubescent uh like the teens and younger teens do and i remember i don't know what i said exactly but i remember there was like this this like obese woman like going for a jog when I was like 11 and I yelled something like disparaging at her and my friend at the time gave me like a hard time about it and at the time I was like very embarrassed as I should have been um but uh but it's like one of those things that stuck with me that like the brain has a couple choices there you can either be like you know what I wasn't I wasn't an asshole. That person needed to hear that because obesity is bad for you. And like, and like, I'm actually helping the world by criticizing obesity. Or you can come to terms and you can be like, ah, fuck, I was an idiot. Uh, I was trying to exercise some very poor judgment. I didn't have all of my empathy um, tools and mechanisms and experience in place at that age and i now can't it's not going to benefit me for i can't find that lady and apologize i need to find some way of just kind of forgiving myself closing that open loop and letting it go and and finding ways to have more empathy and understand like this is a learning opportunity to be like hey you have biases in there that make you judgmental toward others for various reasons because people are different or you're too hard on others or whatever it might be and uh and and that's something that i see a lot of in in people i i think that um i think that right now a lot of what's happening in the world is people don't want to admit like 
oh, maybe I am a little bit bigoted sometimes. Like maybe I do have make some snap judgments and and it's just easier to justify and easier to say like, well, these people are taking my jobs or committing crime or what, like just filling in things to justify your own inner, like immature judgments that, that you're making. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about forgiveness is it can then create change in yourself to lead a more productive uh, life. Right. And a lot of times what we want to heal and don't know how is this chronic underlying sense of guilt. Guilt that we did something wrong. And all of us have done shit that's been stupid or or unkind. Mm-hmm. I mean, most everybody. Some people do something that's pretty extreme. Like the guys that I worked with in San Quentin, they had killed people. They mm-hmm. had shot another person and that person is no longer there and they got to sit in prison for a long time to think about it so their guilt might be pretty extreme over that and yet i know i have guilt for things that i have done that i wished i hadn't right and i also have resentments from people doing stuff to me that i didn't appreciate and didn't know how to handle at the moment so a lot of times this comes, this forgiveness work comes when we're ready and not a moment before. But when we are ready, it's good to know that there's something that we can do. It's simple. It's basic. It's not hard. Something that we can do to release all this shame and guilt that we carry around and then we have a whole bunch of denial and and uh, ignoring. And this is where addictions come from, in my opinion. You know, trying to heal ourselves but going sideways you know into a direction that actually turns out doesn't work very well so i've been being a recovery coach in the last few years i got very inspired by a story about ibogaine actually about the plant iboga and when i found out about it um, it was a young man who healed himself with ibogaine from six years of heroin addiction. And he was only in his early 20s when I met him. So he started when he was about 16. And he saved his life. Iboga saved his life, that particular plant teacher. And when he described what had happened during his psychoactive experience, his entheogenic trip, he said, the medicine showed me I did nothing wrong. And I thought, oh my gosh, this plant is offering forgiveness medicine. I need to know more about this because we're on the same team. And I feel like that is why iboga is so powerful for healing addiction is because it works with helping the person forgive themselves and forgive others. Other entheogens do that as well. Um, so psilocybin and ayahuasca also are huge helpers in that way. Ketamine, I think. I've never experienced ketamine from what I've heard, so that we can get down there into the depths and find these pockets of, of anguish that we have. And we don't need substances to do that. So my book and my work is all about helping people to do it anytime, anywhere. So if you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're looping a thought, like, oh my God, I screwed up, I screwed up. Ah, Why did I do that? Now I don't have, now I'm all alone. Now I wrecked my marriage. Now da da da. I don't have money. I thought I had a retirement, but it went away. Whatever. There are ways that we can, with honesty, openness, and willingness, really connect to ourselves. But we need help. So if we don't have the substance of an entheogen, we have our connection to spirit to go directly and get the help that we need. Because if we think we're an individual person, like as a unit, separate from everything else. We can't do this inner work because we try and we hit a wall. So we try again and we hit another wall. We try a few addictive behaviors and we hit a wall. So it's very humbling to realize, hey, I need help. I don't know how to do this as an individual person. I need to connect to something far greater and then I can start letting go. So that's why when I work with people one-on-one or with couples or I do a, 
a group setting where we have a forgiveness workshop, I always start with prayer. It's setting the space. It's acknowledging that we have a creator. It is not a religious thing. When I pray, I don't know what I'm about to say. It's the prayer of the moment, but it is a prayer because we need the help. We can't do this. In my opinion of what I have seen, we can't just do it on an emotional, psychological level. We need to link to the spiritual to get full healing. So uh, how how do you do that? <laughs> how how in the I, I I mean I I'm sure uh yeah. I I don't think most I don't think I know how to link to the spiritual. I don't think most listeners would know how to link to the spiritual. Mm, okay. Well, one of the first steps is to slow down. And we'll notice that we have so many distractions. There's so many possible distractions. So slowing down and being present to begin with, those are art forms in, the, in and of themselves. But it takes that so that we can make contact. And it doesn't have to feel like you know a lightning bolt coming out of the sky and now I know I have contact. It's more the humble quiet to reach to something beyond just this body and just this 3D world. It takes willingness, it takes sincerity, and then the rest is given to us. We can't not be connected, although we often live ourselves feeling, or live our lives feeling very alienated. And that's one of those things that's so sad about how a lot of us are living our lives right now. We're letting all these distractions take us away from just being here, just being together, really showing, okay, here I am, and I have zits, and I have warts, and probably you do too, so it's okay. That kind of compassion is something that we learn as we start taking off these layers, like you were saying, of so much judgment. And it's courageous work to do, but it's not complicated and it's not hard. And in the book, I give this, that's why it's called Step by Step. Everything that I do with someone in a one-on-one session is in the book. Every session's going to be different. Uh, new stuff's going to come up. But the structure is right there. In fact, the structure is free as a download off my website. It's called the prayer sandwich. We start with prayer and we end with prayer. That's the bread. It's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's how easy it is to remember. Remember peanut butter and jelly sandwich. The first piece of bread is your first prayer. So if you've had a bunch of religious upbringing that you have uh, resentment or uh, resistance around, do your best to just drop that. You can use intention instead if you, if you freak out over the word prayer. We slow down. We have an intention of healing. We say a prayer of the moment. And then we come to the peanut butter, which is the sticky part. And we get really honest with what is this? I want to know. I don't want to know the first top layer. I want to know, really, what is going on with me? And I have several stories in the book from my life and from other people of how we, when we slow down enough and we really want to know, then we start realizing, oh, okay, how is this in my mind? How is this in my motions? What is happening in my body? So we check all that out. We learn as much as possible. And then when we get to a point where there's nothing else arising, there's there's nothing else, okay, I got the whole package right here, then we breathe it out and we make an offering to spirit. The whole thing is a giveaway. And it's very, very profound to realize we can give away our pain as a prayer, as an offering. So we breathe it out of our cells and our bones and our blood as best we can. That's why we say a prayer in the beginning, because we need help right at this point to trust that there's a place to put it, that we don't have to recycle it over and over again, and that we can let it go, offer it to the holiest thing we can imagine, 
let it out of our body where it's been stored, out of our emotions, out of our memories, out of our neural nets in our mind. And we just keep going, keep going, keep letting go until we feel like, okay, something shifted. I feel a little different. How do I feel different? And that's the pause. In between the exhale, we just left, let go, let go. And the inhale we're about to take. So we pause. We go, all right, do I feel a little different? And people, over and over, they calm down. There's a sense of calm that comes. So what happens is we've made from our own free will, we make a choice to let that pain and suffering go. It's not every single thing we possibly uh, lived through in that moment. It's just what comes up in this moment. We don't have to take our entire life at once. Just whatever rose up for our attention, that's what we let go of. And then we start drinking in, breathing in, 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 light and love and blessings and beauty and vitality because we have made room for it from our free will. Then now there's room. So we drink in with our inhale, and then we relax with the exhale. And we do it some more and do it some more, and and then we start getting some realizations. Our intuition will start saying, oh, check that out, check that out. Same as when we're in a medicine journey and the entheogens are working, we have to come up against often, not always, depends on what substance we're taking. But for a lot of them, we come up against these places of sadness and and places where we've had past trauma. And once we lay it down, we get some freshness around it. We get realizations. And that will happen in, in this forgiveness form as well. We need to be open. We need to be listening. We need to stop everything. Just be present and still and drink in goodness and messages will come. And then we end with the prayer. So we get the sweet stuff, which is the jelly or the jam. And then we have the prayer, which is the other piece of bread. And there we have our prayer sandwich. And it is a free thing that you can download from my website. The book gives lots of stories and explanation and reasons why we would want to do this and also the step-by-step process. So it's in there. And I have done the book as an audible as well. So if you prefer to listen to it, you can listen. It's in um, five other languages right now. And my prayer is that it will really, really go out and help as many people as possible. Well, that was beautiful. Uh, uh, Of course, I mean, I also... No, because before recording, you told me you hadn't eaten yet today. So I'm like, is she just really hungry right now? It might be the case. I'm just no, I didn't even think of that. Joke. No, I know. This is the thing that you already have, and it's downloadable and everything else. I'm still like, how am I going to make a silly joke after this? I probably didn't need to. Probably no, you just didn't. left it just the way that it is. Right. But. So that's that's energetically <laughs> a distraction from the present. Sure. Notice. Also, it's constant. a little bit of an obligation uh, that I have to, <laughs> as, a, as a comedian. I, not always the case, but um, if I see a good PB&J joke that I can make in the moment, I have to go for it. Doesn't mean it's going to land. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Doesn't I want the PB&J gonna... joke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, Let's hear it. <laughs> I can't. I've, I'm going to forgive myself for not thinking of a good one. You will later. Call me so, and tell me. Uh, no, here here is the last thing that I that I wanted to ask you after this because this is uh so I mean, this is a, a lot of what you said uh resonated a lot with me who is uh, like I'm a uh, uh, you know science-minded uh you know had a, a bitter religious upbringing and I'm adverse to the, that kind of language, but I've still had enough uh, um, inner work of my own to have um, so much of what you said really resonate with me. And I thought that was a, a beautiful metaphor that um, that I'm sure uh, everyone listening benefited from. What h- happens afterwards? What happens? And 
uh, you know, you know, you can take as, Hey, I don't, uh, I don't want to, uh, you can take as much time as you want with this. I do want to remind you of the time if you have other obligations, but this is the last little question. And, sure. and within that, um, anytime you want as well, I have my, uh, my guests, um, name a nonprofit uh, of of their choice um, as well, and uh, and so so yeah, so 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 people eat the sandwich, right? And then the sandwich is over, and then what? Yeah, and that is an integration question, mm-hmm. right? And with the recovery coaching, we always have this focus on integration as well, where. We do the inner work, and so what if it doesn't land, if it doesn't really integrate into our moment-to-moment daily experience? So, for instance, um, I had one woman that I worked with. This story always stayed with me, and it's a perfect example of integration. I don't suggest that if you do a bunch of forgiveness work with a person that you necessarily go tell them about it especially right away. Just let the energy move around and do what it needs to do. No need to really talk about the story too much. Better to let it settle down and settle in. The way we can feel it working is what happens next in our lives. So I worked with a woman who is from Europe, and she lives in the United States now, but she told me the story that her mother had had an affair with her beloved. So her mother and her fiancé started having sex and she found out about it. Talk about an intense feeling of betrayal from the two people she loved so much. She was absolutely knocked sideways by that for years. When she was ready, she came to me. We did some forgiveness work. She let go of all that intense emotion around that experience. It had been a while. She needed that time. She was ready. She let it go. She went back to Europe and saw her mother again. She had not seen her mother for like 20 years. And she said that when she saw her mother, she could feel love toward her mother and that she wasn't looping that age-old story because it was over. She was ready for it to be over. She chose that it was over because she didn't want to live her life dragged down by that drama anymore. So she felt so free, and that's such a great example. We can find out how free we are by living our lives and finding out, oh, man, I didn't trip all over that. I didn't, I didn't like make myself go down a rabbit hole of of guilt or revenge thoughts or whatever anymore. I just, I don't need to do it. It's over. I have room now for something much more vital, like my purpose and my service and my joy. Yeah. So I also want to mention that I have a new online course that I'm very excited about, and it's called Forgive and Be Free of Your Addictions. And that also can be found on my website, which is simply anaholub.com, A-N-A-H-O-L-U-B. That's be like brother, A-N-A-H-O-L-U-B.com. And you'll see everything that I have to offer. Um, but if you are in recovery or are having an active addiction and really want to move through it and get some healing, this forgiveness process plus acknowledging the triggers and the things that need to change in a recovery process, they're all together in this course. And if the whole thing is downloadable, you can do it in your own time, in your own time frame, and your own readiness. That's perfect. Um, yeah. So shall we talk about the nonprofit thing? Yes. yes. I have spent many years in Mount Shasta, California. It is a very important place for many, many people around the world. It is a huge beacon of strong energy of light. Many, many people experience that. I lived there for a long time, and it is my spiritual home. So the one of the environmental things that's going on right now that affects all of California, 
because Mount Shasta is the headwaters of the Sacramento River. Um, so there is a crystal geyser plant that was a Nestle plant. Now it's a crystal geyser. And they're wanting to pump a lot of water out of Mount Shasta and sell it in plastic bottles all around the world. And we really need to get off our plastic bottle addiction. It is horrendous what's going on with that. And um, Crystal Geyser is a huge corporation. It's actually owned by a Japanese pharmaceutical company. And so we're talking international corporations with very deep pockets. And then the people of Mount Shasta are fighting to keep the water in the ground, to keep the health of the ecosystem there, um, and to monitor Crystal Geyser as it takes water out. Because I don't think we can shut down the plant itself because it's legal to be there. But we can be a watchdog and get some some um, support in place to where they can't just take as much money, uh, much water as they want and then suck it dry and leave, which is often the plan of the, these multinational corporations. So the nonprofit that I want to support and then I support you in checking out is called Water. It's the, the um, address on the internet is C-A-W-A-T-E-R.net, C-A-Water.net. And water stands for we advocate through environmental review. And the people who are part of this organization, I know them personally. I love them dearly. They have spent hours and hours and hours of volunteer time doing their best to keep this treasure of Mount Shasta and its water intact. That's terrific. Um, uh, all right. Well, everyone can go to the Here We Are podcast.com website to learn more about both of those. But more importantly, you can also just go right to anaholub.com, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and find out lots more about her work and everything we talked about uh, today. Thanks, Anna, for joining me. Thank you, Shane. Thank you for all your your humor and your brightness that you bring. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. Next week on the show, I'm back at the University of Minnesota at the Carlson School of Management talking with Alan Benson. We were talking about organizational management, some of the psychology there, how why people get promoted, who are the best people to promote. Sometimes the best salespeople don't necessarily make the best managers of salespeople, that sort of thing. And a, a fantastic episode that I think uh, many of you, especially those of you in the larger organizations, will really identify with and find super interesting. By the way, Myco Meditations retreats in Jamaica are kind of blowing up right now and getting quite popular. So the December retreat that was added now is unfortunately uh, full. And the next retreat that I have lined up, hoping to uh, line up some more soon. Um, So there's more options for you guys. But the next one will be April 6th through 13th of next year, 2019. So these are just filling up crazy fast. They didn't even update their website with new dates and they were already selling out new dates just based on uh, the number of inquiries uh, that they've had from people so so get it while you can i'm gonna try to add more soon but i've at least confirmed april 6th to the 13th of 2019 so check that out and those of you that listen all the way to the end you are of course my favorite
Thing. 